Welcome back to the Adam Schefter podcast, a post-draft podcast, and what a draft it was. So much to go over and review today, so much insight to glean on so many of the selections that unfolded over the weekend when some teams, we think, really improved their rosters. And to help break it all down, we will be joined today by ESPN's two draft analysts, their two draft gurus. Mel Kuyper Jr. coming off his 40th, 40th draft on ESPN, an incredible stat, a legend in the business, and Todd McShay, both will be along to share their insights on some of the winners and losers of the draft and what the draft has turned into. And before we get their opinion, I did want to say that to me, having covered the draft for over 30 years, it's remarkable what it has become. The draft has become the NFL's version of Coachella. It's the NFL Coachella. It's a total festival of music and drinking and partying and celebrating all while we are broadcasting the draft on ESPN and ABC. It was so loud there in Kansas City that I was sitting next to Chris Mortensen, my partner, and I literally could not hear a word he was saying. That's how loud it was on Thursday night. And there were two, 300,000 fans in attendance. And it's interesting because back in the day when the draft was held at Radio City Music Hall, it was quiet, it was sleepy, and eventually we got to the year where Radio City Music Hall told the NFL, amazingly enough, you cannot have Radio City Music Hall this year because the Rockettes are performing, I think, in Easter celebration. And so because the Rockettes had booked Radio City Music Hall, denying the league the chance to be where it had stationed the draft in recent years, the league was forced to take the draft on the road. And it has grown and grown and grown to the point now where there were nine cities, nine cities traveling around Kansas City this weekend with the NFL officials scouting it out because they want to have a draft in their city. Nine cities vying for the draft. We know it'll be in Detroit next year. I got a hunch, just a hunch, that it may be in Green Bay the next year, in 2025, where the league would stage the draft at Lambeau Field. That, I think, is sometime in the future, maybe 25. Maybe another year. Don't know exactly when, but it's coming. A draft in Green Bay as it's coming to other cities. And these drafts have gotten crazy. They are parties. It is the NFL's Coachella. It's the best way to describe it. And of course, there's football news. And we had plenty of it over the weekend, starting near the top of the draft with the Houston Texans making the second and third selections. And a couple of points I want to clarify about this because I thought it was very interesting. First and foremost, the Texans used pick number two on Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, I think knowing that they had the trade in place with Arizona to be able to go trade for Will Anderson and give up all that they did. Now, they traded the price of a quarterback to go draft Will Anderson, and really those two slots were interchangeable. But the fact of the matter is, later in the afternoon, I was told that the pick was going to be defense. 
I was told that by a couple of different people. Actually, a few different people. Yeah, Texans are taking defense at two, validating all the talk and speculation that had been out there in previous weeks about the fact that they were not locked in to taking a quarterback at two. Now, when they have the trade in place, it's easy to go take C.J. Stroud and reward the player who's going to be the face of your franchise, who got beaten up in the pre-draft process, who deserved to go number two. And Will Anderson, I think, was equally deserving of going two, but they just slotted him into three, knowing that they were going to have picks two and three. And so all these people who said, I told you C.J. Stroud was going to go two. Well, Will Anderson also went two. It was two and three. But the fact that they paid the price of what a team normally pays to trade up for a quarterback is an indication that I think what I was being told on Thursday afternoon that it was going to be defense was right. They just switched it up and turned in the C.J. Stroud card first because that made the most sense. And how about the Arizona Cardinals who trade out of number three? For his first draft, I thought general manager Monte Austin Fort crushed it. Crushed it. Because I really believe that if they had stayed at three, the player they wanted to get was Paris Johnson Jr. anyway. They needed help along the offensive line. They needed an offensive tackle to help protect Kyler Murray. And Jonathan Gannon, the head coach, has a defensive background. He can tend to the Cardinals' defense, but he can't help the offensive line. And so the Cardinals get the offensive lineman that they needed, that they wanted, that I believe they would have taken at three anyway, and still get Houston's first-round draft pick in 2024, which means that the Cardinals now control the 2024 NFL draft. They are loaded with draft picks all across the board at a time where Kyler Murray is coming off the torn ACL injury, where there are questions about his future. And if you look at their draft next year, the Cardinals have six picks in the first three rounds, including Houston's number one, Houston's number three, and Tennessee's number three, in addition to their own picks. So they are in prime position already, if they want, to be able to go get USC quarterback Caleb Williams or North Carolina quarterback Drake May or whatever they want to do. Their future, for the first time in a while, is looking up in Arizona. And speaking of looking up, there's the Philadelphia Eagles. Just over a year ago, they had no players on their roster from Georgia. Now they are the Philadelphia Bulldogs with six players acquired over the course of the past two drafts, including the running back DeAndre Swift. Now I want to lay this out, the intelligence that is involved in going to trade for a player like DeAndre Swift who struggled with injuries last year and wasn't the same player. We get all of that. But think about this. The Philadelphia Eagles allowed Miles Sanders to leave in free agency. He got $13 million in guaranteed money from the Carolina Panthers. This year, the Eagles will pay DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny, two running backs that they acquired this offseason, a combined $2.85 million. So Miles Sanders gets essentially 10 more million guaranteed dollars than the Eagles are paying DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny. And it doesn't stop there. DeAndre Swift is scheduled to make $1.7 million in base salary this year. His contract is up. 
So if he leaves after this season, the Eagles are likely to get a compensatory draft pick back in 2025, which is the same draft that they traded a fourth-round pick to the Lions for DeAndre Swift. So they're essentially getting DeAndre Swift this year at a greatly discounted price, maybe free, depending on the pick that they're getting back in 2025 after giving up a 2025 fourth-round pick to the Lions. This is how smart, successful franchises operate. And you could argue right now that the Eagles general manager, Howie Roseman, is not only amongst the best general managers in all of football, I would make the argument that he's amongst the best and smartest executives in all of sports. He's consumed with his job. He's consumed with ways to improve that roster. And if you look at what they did, how could they come out of this draft with Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith and players that nobody would have thought would have been available? Now, here's another interesting story about Jalen Carter. The Eagles did go back and forth on him, or not really back and forth, but just forth, because for much of the process, the information that they were gathering was taking them to a spot in which they probably wouldn't take Jalen Carter. But this is a great example of how things change, how it's fluid, how you never know. Look at the Texans. Again, my information on Thursday afternoon was that they were going defense at number two, and they wound up picking C.J. Stroud, and then defense, but really in an interchangeable way. Well, anyway, the Philadelphia Eagles were thinking of not taking Jalen Carter. They had had long organizational meetings and really were more on the side of not picking him. And this information essentially was something that Jalen Carter's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, uncovered. And on the day of the draft, Thursday, Drew had Jalen Carter on the phone with Nick Sirianni, with Howie Roseman, with other Eagles officials. And he had Jalen Carter essentially plead with them to pick him, to give him a chance. And after listening to Jalen Carter that day, I'm not going to say that alone changed the Eagles' minds when they had done so much work and digging on him, but there's no doubt it helped sway their decision. There's no doubt it played a role in their decision. I don't know how much, but a role. And Jalen Carter was able to help reassure the Eagles that he's going to be a great player and a model citizen and do what they want, surrounded by all the Georgia teammates that he has. And so the player that the Eagles weren't planning on picking up to the draft, all of a sudden became not only the player that they picked, but that they traded up one spot to get, which is a great illustration of how quickly these things change. Remarkable how quickly they change. And so we have NFL Coachella. We have the Texans going crazy at the top of the draft. We have the Eagles doing what the Eagles do. And to look back at all of it, we bring in the great Mel Kuyper and stupendous Todd McShay. All right, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay. And the first thing I want to start out with is this. We're sitting there on Thursday night, and I can't believe how loud it is. And I can't believe how many people are there. And Mel, you've been doing the draft 40 years on ESPN. Todd, not quite as long. Yep. But I'm just curious to know, from your perspective, how you would assess how the draft has changed during the time you've been on air. Oh, my gosh, Adam. 
And Todd knows this. When we started in 83, 84, it was, you know, we were there. I remember the first round, second round, Boomer Esiason's drafted. We got him on a little box. We're talking to Boomer. And then second round didn't even end and we were gone. I, I bring this story up. We left to go to a tractor pull. And I'm not lying. We signed off in the second round. Got, I was taken down. Boomer and Bob Lee walked me down to that one little building in Bristol, Connecticut. Walked me down. There's a car waiting. Took me to Bradley. Flew out. I got home. The draft was going on. I'm, I'm calling that like a 900 number to find out who's picked. I'm sorry, <laughs> a 900 number. This is an 84. And then after that, it just kept growing. And people kept writing articles about why is Kuiper even on TV? Why is this thing televised? And why is anybody wasting their time watching this nonsense of players being picked? And then it kept the negative articles kept going and going and going. And I kept telling everybody, ESPN, don't send me the articles. I don't want to see them after the draft because I'm, I might as well find another occupation. That's what everybody's telling me to do. So I don't want to be listening to this. So the bottom line is Todd would even exist if this stuff would have gone the way the critics had it. They would have said it's going to be over and done with, never to be televised again. But as it kept growing, all those haters jumped on the bandwagon because they had no choice. It's like, how can you hate something? It's outdrawing World Series games, right? So they couldn't hate anymore. So now it flipped to no hate articles about, I guess about, what do you think, Todd, about 10 years ago, maybe? So it, uh, to go from where it was to where it is now, in a word, it's amazing. And, uh, and to see the crowd in Kansas City, to see the crowds all over the country, I think proves the point that you can't hate on it anymore or you look like an idiot. Yeah, and I, I think it, it was heading in that direction. It was already there when we were in New York City, right? But there's something different. Like when they, when, when the NFL had the contract issue with, um, with, with New York and where were we? Um, Radio City Musical. Yeah, Radio City Musical. When they had that issue, and and I think the first year was in Chicago. We did it for two years in Chicago. Right. And they realized, you know what? Not only can we do it in different cities outside of New York, there's we can make this into an event. You know. And then like after Chicago, which was a great turnout, Philadelphia was probably even a little bit better. And then Nashville, I always go back. Like to me, it was like Coachella meets meets NFL draft. That was that to me. Chicago and Philly kind of helped turn the, you know, the image of it and what it could be. And Nashville was just like, whoa! You're like concerts playing. I'll never forget the camera angle running from the stage all the way down. Was it was it Broadway or Main Street, whatever that is, their Main Street with all the bars and restaurants, and it looked like a million people. And there were hundreds of thousands of people. And the concerts they had, you know, before and after, it just it felt different. So I, I think I think the new location every year, getting new fan base and excitement has is real. I mean, you talk about a tractor pull now. Can you imagine a tractor pull all of a sudden coming or any other sporting event coming on? This weekend we had close to 12 million viewers, Shefty, on the first night on three different networks. Three different networks, almost 12 million million people and over 300,000 people were inside the, you know, the, the arena, if you will, or the, you know, the event and, and hundreds of thousands of others kind of circling around as well, just to be a part of the draft in Kansas city. So it's remarkable where it's come and, and, and it seems like it continues to grow each year. Well, it's interesting because I was talking yesterday with some people and you mentioned Chicago. Yep. Chicago was actually inside on Thursday night. Yes. And now it's gotten to the point where not only is the NFL moving cities, going to a different city every year, but I believe that we've seen 
the last for the foreseeable future of the indoor drafts because yes. there are too many people that want to be there. They can't yeah. stick it inside anywhere. It's got to be outside with hundreds of thousands of people. And I mentioned at the start of this podcast, Todd, I, I said that. It's the NFL Coachella. was exactly what I said. That's what it's become. And we may see it in Green Bay in future years at some point. We will at some point. I don't know what year. Where they use Lambeau Field. That would be actually a little bit limiting. I don't know if you could open that up and make it such that there will be hundreds of thousands of fans at Lambeau Field. But that's where this is going. There's going to be a draft at Lambeau Field. Draft outdoors. There were nine cities following NFL officials around this weekend because they all want the draft. Think right. about that. Right? And Mel, this is back in the day. They go off the air in round two for a tractor pull. That's unbelievable to me. It came full circle. It really did. And, and I think the, the fact that you know Todd's there and Matt Miller's there and people that grew up watching this back when we were starting it and, and to see all the fans all over the country but millions of people have mock drafts. Millions of people have rankings. To see the explosion of this and to see people, Todd, we were watching them on day three. They're just, they're there for day three. Yeah. And they're in abundance and they want football signed and this sign, hats. Todd's getting hats thrown at them and football's thrown and things are, our papers are flying off the table. I didn't show great hands yesterday when six of McShay's papers flew right by me. Uh, I just, I'm I not just, great with paper I reacted to that one. Usually, I, have to, I mean, we have to have things holding it down. So we got wind flipping around, wind flipping our papers, and and fans standing there behind us wanting autographs and watching this stuff. So it, it is amazing where this draft is now. And I guess it can keep growing because the cities, like you say, nine are following this event to see when they can get it. So right. when you have that demand to for cities to say, we want this draft, we're not just, we're not just saying, Ah, bring it here. We'll try. They know it's true. It's a proven thing now. It's huge. Signs up everywhere. They say they got signs up in Detroit right now. Right? For next year. Next yeah. year. Yeah, counting down. There's been a countdown clock up in Detroit for two years now, counting <laughs> down the number of days and hours to the 2024 NFL draft. And that's not going away anytime soon. And yeah, we know that we're going to be in Detroit next year. I would bet on Green Bay in 25. All these other cities are bidding for it. And really what it's become, it's become the off-season Super Bowl, the NFL's Coachella, and the off-season Super Bowl, where cities that wouldn't be awarded a Super Bowl, like Green Bay, because there aren't enough hotels and nobody wants to travel to Green Bay in February, this has become the NFL's answer to say, well, we're not going to give you a Super Bowl, but we are going to give you this draft. And the cities, I believe, love that. Yeah, and all the money it brings in too for the city. You know, I just talk. I talked to one woman who was who was part of the the Detroit group next year. How excited they are! Like the rebuild that is that is happening in Detroit, and, and all the the businesses that are coming back to Detroit. And they view this as an opportunity to continue to grow the city. And just think about all the amount of the amount of money made by a city in a four day span where everyone's you know, flocking to that one city, all the memorabilia being sold, you know, the hotels, the restaurants. I mean, it, it's it's remarkable. And, and cities embrace it. Why wouldn't you embrace it? You know, you think about the amount of money that all of these individual local businesses are making because of, of one event coming in. It's just, it's, how could you not be excited? You know, we were talking about Matt Miller showing his admiration on air for Mill Kuyper Jr. 
Mel, I'm, I mean this. I used to love your draft book too. Allow me to join the line of the legions of fans who have expressed their gratitude and respect, love and admiration for the great Mel Kuyper Jr. And what you've done, it's true. Like 40 years doing this, you are a legend, you are a pioneer. I'm grateful and honored to get to know you over time, to call you a friend. And I truly appreciate everything that you've done. I do want to ask, 40 years for the record, how much longer, Kenan, do you want to do this for, Mel? 20 more years. Jeff, let me just say this. He has a two-year deal, I think, left with ESPN. He's got a 20-year deal left with me. (laughs) I know Todd's tired of hearing this. I I, I really appreciate, Todd knows how much I appreciate all the comments. I don't like that stuff. I feel very uncomfortable hearing it. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Kim and Lauren were watching it, and you know, and all that. It was so, it was so nice for everybody to say what they did. And Adam, I mean, you've been a friend for a long time, and and Todd, you'll appreciate Adam. This is when I knew Adam was different and special, okay, and special because he would call me when he was in Denver covering the Broncos, and he was the only one that ever did this. He would not only want to know the first round pick, second round pick, the third round pick. He would take me through all the – if they had a couple seventh-round picks, he would know <laughs> those seventh-round picks. What do you think the Broncos – I don't think of a player. I would have to give Adam a player for yeah. every round, every <laughs> pick the Broncos had. So Adam was into this stuff from the get-go and, and understood it. And I'll just say this, to, to piggyback what you were saying about, and Adam, but about the draft. When you think about where we are now and where we were then in terms of just the, the coverage and people caring – and everybody's saying, question, why would anybody care? And now the, the, the people that are there, who would ever, the NFL, who would ever care to watch something where it's announcing names? Okay. The, and I got to credit ESPN for that because ESPN believed in it. It was a connection with the NFL. But the produ- our producers over the years, our directors, Todd mentioned all the people behind the scenes, Adam, and you know who they are, cutting that tape. And to go back, I remember sitting with Freddie Goodelli, the friend of all of us, you know, Fred, sitting with Freddie. I came down to the Marriott Marquis Grand Ballroom, and I didn't know what year it was. I come down to talk to the media, talk to the fans, right? That's what you do. You come down, relax. I'm not all buttoned up like now, right? I got a shirt on, like a golf shirt. And I'm coming down, and there's Freddie. I said, Freddie, what are you doing here? He said, Mel, I'm scoping it out because next year we're televising every pick. I said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? We all left that for a tractor pull in 84, and now we're going to televise every pick. So it is crazy. But to not believe it, it's a, I always say that's the one thing I got right. I got a lot of player evaluations wrong, but Shay can tell you the laundry list of players I got wrong. I hope Will Levis isn't one of them. Okay, <laughs> well, but find out. I think you look at where we are now. As far as I believed in this when people were saying, "Why are you not only why is ESPN covering it? Why are you even involved in this? Why do you waste your time doing this stuff? Nobody cares about the players you're talking about. Nobody cares about the giraffe. Nobody cares about any of this. Just go away, find another job, do something. And then when you be- had to believe in something through that adversity. And have to fight through it and battle through it. I took a lot of, I got a lot of bruises, Todd, to help you get to where you are. I'm about. sure, man. I, took I know a that. A lot of shots, I know that. Me over the years to get to where we are right now. But I, I, it's amazing to me too. Like, it just keeps growing. Like five years ago, if you told me, all right, you know, fifteen years ago, I was like, I, I didn't, I got in this for scouting, and I didn't know maybe I'll do some, some, you know, media stuff and write some articles and write some reports up. I always thought I was going to get in the league and become an, an area scout and, you know, try to climb the ladder that way. And then when ESPN came to me and said, you know, we, we, I'll never forget the first time they wanted to put me on the draft. And they came to me first and said, are you willing to do it? 
I said, yeah, of course, I'm willing to go with, with Mel. We want to do a sports center segment, right? Um, and, and I said, yeah, of course, of course I will. You know, I'd, I'd love to do that. But is, is Mel comfortable with that? And the producer said, well, I haven't asked Mel yet. I put one before I pitched it to him because I'm kind of nervous to call Mel about this. I wanted to make sure that you were on board first. I was like, I'm on board. But if Mel's uncomfortable, then, you know, that this, I'm not trying to go in this direction anyway. So long short, you know, you know, Mel, that was, like, yeah, of course, bring, bring him on. Let's, let's do it. We go on and we go start going head to head. And that's kind of how it started. This is, I don't know, 16 years ago or so, right? And so if you told me then that I, I basically, it's not my full-time job. I mean, I, I go out to college, I do games during the season and all that, but it is, it, it is definitely my lane in my career. And that, and, and I didn't think that there was a place. But now like, I'm on for three nights on AB or two nights for on ABC while Mel's on on ESPN, and then we're together on day three. And then they they came to us, you know, a few years ago and like Matt Miller, Jordan Reed, right? NFL Network. It was Mike Mayock, and Daniel Jeremiah was kind of the the number two. And then Jeremiah becomes number one when Mayock goes to the Raiders as a GM. And now they, you know, there's Bucky Brooks and Lance Zer Zerline and and um and Chad Reader, like the fact that it keeps growing to the point where we can't like the two of us and you think about it, it's what December, January, February, March, April, and like the first week of May. So it's, it's about five months where we're really focused on this television all year getting ready, but five months television wise that there are like 10 guys that do this essentially as their primary job. And we like Mel and I can't handle all the volume. There's ACC network, SEC network, you know, ESPNU, all these other outlets and all the, the, the local interviews, print, uh, local radio, like it's gotten so big where two human beings can't handle it. And, and we're all four of us between Jordan, Matt, myself and, and Mel, obviously, it's we're all working around the clock because there's so much of a pull for it. But it's the same thing with reporters. Think about how many reporters there are, insiders in the league. Yes. When I first got into it, there were only two or three or four. And now it's just grown. There are so many people who want to do it. On Friday morning in the hotel gym, I see Commissioner Goodell. He's always in there in yep. the gym. And so he said, came over, we were talking. He said, what do you think of last night? And I said, I have to tell you something. I cannot believe, and that's why I want to start here with you guys, how big this thing has gotten. And it was always big, but it's gotten to levels that it's just hard truly process unless you're there to see how loud it is. I said to the commissioner, I'm sitting next to Chris Morrison right next to me. I can't even hear him next to me. It's yeah. that loud. It's that much of a party. All the coverage, all the outlets, all the interest, all the mock drafts, all the draft <laughs> experts, like everything about it just keeps growing and growing and growing to which I come back to you, Mel, because I'm sure you must remember the year. What was the first year after Fred Gadelli was in the lobby in which he said ESPN is going to be carrying the draft full-time. What year was that? I don't even know. I, that's why I say I've, I've said that a million times about Freddie Sin. I have to go back and check the year, Adam. I don't even know when it was where the next year we're going to do the whole draft and every pick and, and be there for this marathon. I don't remember when it was. I've got a funny story, Adam, about Todd. So we're sitting there. Uh, when I'm doing a sports center cut-in on, on uh, the night before the draft. I don't know what year it was along. It was when Todd had just started. And we're sitting there, Gary Horton. You know Gary, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Like a friend of all of us. Yes. Gary's sitting there. He said, no, come over here. He said, I'm going to get McShay on the line. Said, I'm going to tell him you're really fired up. You hate him. 
because of something he said about you or something he wrote. I said, Gary, what are you going to do? He said, oh, yeah, play along with play along. I'm going gonna, gonna to get him good. I'm going to get him good. So he gets tied on the phone. Hi, I don't know what you did. Kuiper's here. And Kuiper's fuming. He's ready to kill you. He's so upset. Uh, well, what, you can tell it. I don't know what he was saying, but I was hearing him. I was just laughing in the background, hearing him talk to Todd. And I'll, I remember that call. And I remember at first being like, no, Mel, Mel and I have said, no, Hort, Mel, Mel and I have talked about it. Like, he, he's, he's been okay. And he just wouldn't let it go. And he kept on. He's like, no, like, I don't know what it is specifically you said, but you, you, hit, a, you hit a court. Like, there's something you said. I'm just telling you, I'm around him. He's, he's talking to other people in the company. Like, he is pissed. Like, watch it. Like, he is upset. And then finally, I, I went from all brave. and like, no, 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 that's not Mel. And you don't understand our relationship. Like, to like, oh, no, like, Hort, will you put in a good word for me? Like, I, I'm not sure what I said. Try to find out what I said. So I start to cower. Right. I, and you know me, like, there's not a lot that I'm going to start backing, but I'm, we're right before the draft. Like, Mel's pissed. How do I handle this? Do I give him a call? He, and then as, as he went to hang up, he, he started, he's like, he's like, we got you. And I hear Kuiper in the background just laughing at me. <laughs> that, that was the first and last time that you really got me, Kuiper. You, know, you really, truly got me. <laughs> so there's been so much discussion of the draft that I don't need to go over all the details of this, right? But I have one. Basic question for both of you in regards to this past weekend. Who gets your best grades on this draft, Mel and Todd? Mel first. Well, I think we agree on Philadelphia and Seattle. I think Philadelphia just, it fell right for them. Jalen Carter, whether it was convincing them, Jalen did that day. Like you said, I don't know what led up to that, but to get the number one player football-wise, where they did a 10 to get Nolan Smith at 30. I had him 12. I don't know where you had him on your board finally, Todd, to get the, the Tyler Steen and Sidney Brown and uh, and Gilly Ringo where they did. Um, they just did a heck of a job. Seattle, John Schneider nailed it. Really, personally, every year he's there. He has a good draft. But this year he did a, an outstanding job as well. So I gave I gave the Eagles and the Seahawks A grades. I thought both those those teams uh, had came away with a lot of players will be foundation pieces moving forward. So kind of with Philadelphia, the rich got richer. Todd? Yeah, I, I said, I mean, I completely agree with Philadelphia. You know, um, Seattle was the team when, when asked for Sports Center. you know, right after the draft, I went with Seattle. And it's really a two-year span. You know, they've had great drafts in, in the past, but like last year and this year, they probably got nine starters between the two drafts. You're, you're doing well if you get three in each. You're doing great if you get four in a draft, starters. But last year was, was you know, the Jets had offensive rookie and defensive rookie of the year. They got Brees Hall in addition, who before the injury was an absolute star. Like, they killed the draft, but, the, but Seattle had an even better haul. And then this year, you talk about Devin Witherspoon, the number one cornerback in the class. They stuck with character, too. Don't forget, we talked about the Shep even leading up. Like, Snyder has realized, realized last year, like, we've got to – if we're going to rebuild this thing quickly, we got to get get a bunch of guys that fit what we do and just love ball and are committed. Mm-hmm. And and they had a chance to, to draft the, the most talented player in this in this class in Jalen Carter and opted to go with Devin Witherspoon, a guy who was 140 pound zero star recruit coming out of high school and just developed and developed and developed and became a top 10 pick because of the way he plays. But Witherspoon, then they get the number one wide receiver in Smith and Jigba, who's going to be a starter for them, at least in the slot which is a starting position in the league now. Derek Hall will be in a rotation, eventually a starter and, and, as an edge guy. Zach Charbonnet will be a backup, but he'll contribute and he'll help keep Kenneth Walker the third healthy. And I think Anthony Bradford's going to step in as a starting guard right away. So I think nine starters between t- two drafts 
and a few other like significant contributors is remarkable. Another team, when I look back on the fight back, when I was looking back, I'm not saying they had the best draft. Houston, obviously, you have to put in there because of their first two picks, right? What they like, they're changing the direction of that organization with those two picks. But I really like this the Pittsburgh Steelers draft. It wasn't sexy, but the Steelers don't major in sexy. They major in bully ball, right? Like they got back to their roots of like Pittsburgh Steeler football. And just go down the line, Broderick Jones, they were able to move up just ahead of the Jets. And even Joe Douglas, my good friend, the general manager of the Jets, never tell me if they were going to or they weren't going to, and I'm never, never going to ask. But there was, a, there was a lot of thought in the league, and I'm sure Bill Belichick was very happy about, hey, if, if we're going to trade out of this spot, let's make sure it's a team coming in to get an offensive tackle in case the Jets want him at pick 15. So they go up and get their guy, Broderick Jones, who's really athletic, and he's a tough guy. Now, he's got to get bigger and stronger. He's got some mechanical, some technique work to do. But they get that guy in the front to help protect a quarterback in Kenny Pickett that is, has mobility, but he's going to need better protection up front than he got a year ago. Then they go out and they get two cornerbacks that fit their press man scheme, guys with 33, 34-inch arm length, 6'1", 6'3", that range. And Joey Porter Jr., obviously bringing in another family member for the Porter. Like that, that, That's just a feel-good pick but it fits what they want to be physical on the perimeter. Corey Trice in the seventh round is another six foot three long cornerback who can be a backup there. But then Keanu Benton in the late or in the second round, pick 49. I love that pick. So now you've got an offensive tackle, a physical corner, Keanu Benton, who's going to be a nose tackle. You're talking about bully ball. He's going to be the centerpiece of that defense. And then Darnell Washington, who slid because of the knee injuries, right? But they get a value pick at pick 93 overall. And he's essentially an offensive tackle when you want to keep him in line and, and block. So they got back to their roots of being physical and dominant in the trenches and on the perimeter. And I, I really thought that, that that draft fit them. Here's a great story about Broderick Jones. Yep. So the Pittsburgh Steelers trade up with New England. New England moves back. I believe it was three slots. And if you look at the value chart of what the price for that pick should be, yep. <laughs> it should be a third round pick. Okay. But the Pittsburgh Steelers only had to give up a fourth-round pick. Uh-huh. And they only had to give up a fourth-round pick because Bill Belichick was willing to discount it so Broderick Jones would not be in the division with the New York Jets. Exactly. So it, that's, that is what happened. Now, we cannot prove or establish that Broderick Jones is the player that the Jets would have taken. We're not saying he was, but they certainly had a needed offensive tackle. Bill Belichick and the Patriots recognized that. And if you look at the value chart, they discounted the pick that they got back from the Pittsburgh Steelers to move back. And oh, by the way, it didn't even hurt them any because they still got Christian Gonzalez in the spot that they were going to New England. Yeah, yeah. and, and we, we all thought that Christian Gonzalez could go in the top 10. And it's like kind of the, like the Mac Jones here, just sit back and wait for your guy. And they got their guy, you know, at 17 overall. So, but yeah, I mean... You, Bill Belichick will never admit it, but he was sitting there in inwardly smiling, being like, here you go, here you go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this too, guys. Uh, you know, Bill Belichick inside and out of you know, he looks at all these mock drafts. He admits it. He literally he looks at it. He almost probably has some kind of algorithm to try to figure out players, the teams, and how many people, who they are, how he values the opinions of people, and where he put. We had everybody at Broderick Jones linked to the Jets, right or wrong. We don't know if they're going to take him, right or wrong. Broderick Jones was linked to the Jets. 
He knew that. He made the move. Whether it was right or wrong, he made it based on those mock drafts. The other team, who was linked to the Dallas Cowboys a lot? Dalton Kincaid. Was yeah. linked. Remember, Dalton Kincaid replaces Dalton Schultz. We kept talking about it on all the shows we did. If Ken, then he got up to Green Bay, but we said, hey, if Dallas has him in their, in their sight lines. Well, Jacksonville jumped ahead of Dallas to get Dalton Kincaid. So, obviously, they're thinking the same thing. We can't wait because Dallas will probably take him. So, you know, so, Buffalo jumps up with Jacksonville. Buffalo makes that move up with Jacksonville. Jacksonville falls back, and Buffalo jumps Dallas to get Dalton Kincaid, who could be a key weapon for Josh Allen. So, we do look at these mock drafts and say, hey, you know, people do value them. They do use them as a tool to try to figure out where players may go. And in this case, Dallas had, had would link, link to Kincaid, and, and Buffalo probably knew it and made the move. And that's why, even though even though Mel is uh, is threatening right now to not do another mock draft, I guarantee you we're going to get him to do a mock draft 5.0 next year in 2024. Well, well, why don't you guys do one together, like the Mel and Todd mock draft together? We we do one. Well, honestly, Chef Big, so yeah. I can so I can kick his ass. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, now let's be doing round mock like the week before, the week before together. I think part of it's just. You know, it's interesting to see what direction you would go. Like, I, if I were a viewer, I want to see, like, what you're hearing versus what Mel's hearing and, and vice versa. Well, by the way, Todd, when you look ahead to your draft that you did, your mock draft, so to speak, at this time last year, projecting the 2023 draft, in 2022, you nailed that. There, You were really, really good looking ahead. So I want to ask both you guys, who do we look at right now being that the countdown is on in Detroit, these people are waiting for the draft to get there. Who's going in the top 10? Who are some locks? We got Caleb Williams, Drake May, right? Those two? Yep. And is Caleb Williams the consensus, unanimous, number one overall pick? Yes. Right now he is. I mean, I've, I've got a mock draft to do. I'm going to write it on Wednesday. I'll be, I'll be doing TV all day on Thursday. And I don't know. So here, just as background, dot com sends me a list it's a power rankings in reverse order right so whoever they have is the 32nd team will be the first team picking mm -hmm. i don't care if i have to project a trade in may for next year i'll do it kuiper just to make sure that caleb williams is the first player off the board right but after that i mean i think drake may will be somewhere there in the top five the next team that needs a quarterback uh, marvin harrison jr is going to be probably the first player not that's not a quarterback the wide receiver on ohio state I can't pronounce his name yet. I've got 11 months to, to get it right, but the offensive tackle from Penn State. Go ahead, it's either Fashanu, Fashanu, Olu. Olu, right. Uh, Olu. Wow. So Olu will be in there. Oh, Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia, will be another guy that will be in the mix somewhere in the top 10. Right. Yeah. Joe Alt from Notre Dame, offensive tackle, will be in there. Uh, John yep. Alt's on show. Joe Alt, offensive tackle. Notre Dame. Cameron Kinchin, safety Miami, is a good one. Kuwait McKinstry, the cornerback from Alabama, is a good one. A Dallas Turner outside linebacker, Alabama. Todd mentioned Brock Bowers. Uh, I'll tell you, there's the Kalen Kings, a really good corner at Penn State. Well, uh, Michael Penix Jr., the third quarterback from Washington. Washington's going to be a great football team this year. Uh, he's going to be certainly right in that mix as well to be uh, in the top 10 and be one of the top quarterbacks. So the next year's draft shapes up to be really strong. Uh, I think it certainly will be better on paper than this one was. Uh, and a lot of those names, even in, like I said, in the secondary is going to be good players. Uh, Cooper DeJean at Iowa. We had all those Iowa players going early with uh, Lucas Van Ness and, and Sam Laporta and that group of, of players there with the Iowa Hawkeyes, Riley Moss as well. But I think you're going to look at Cooper DeJean, the defensive back 
as a, as a pretty uh, much a uh, guy that goes within the first couple of rounds. Is Caleb Williams viewed in the Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence stratosphere? Potentially. I mean, I talked to two, two or three different teams. Talked to one GM was already already saying this. I talked to him on Saturday night before the draft. Was already saying next year's draft is going to be better. And then they're not making decisions off of that. They're they're not a quarterback needy team. So it's not like they're saying, well, we're going to, you know, we're not going to take a quarterback. We're going to pass on Will Levis in, in the bottom half of the first to get. It wasn't that. It was just kind of looking ahead, you know, surface level stuff. Like next year's group, if you look at like the quarterbacks at the top, look slightly better if you two, you know, with Caleb Williams and, and May. And, and Caleb Williams is already viewed as potentially being, yeah, like, I hate the word generational, but but a player that that may have if he came out this year, there are people in the league. Let's just put it this way: there are people in the league that believe that he would have been the first quarterback taken ahead of Bryce Young. And Bryce Young was kind of the consensus, if not the consensus, then I would say the vast majority of teams believe Bryce Young was the number one quarterback. Yeah, let me say one thing, guys. Before the, this year, when we talk about last year and where people were projected in August of last year, September. Kayshawn Booty, wide receiver LSU, went in the sixth round, 187th pick to New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. How does he turn out in New England? He was projected to be maybe a first-round pick, drops all the way into the sixth round. And then as far as the best picks go, I'm going to see Miami. Miami's going to be a basically a video game on offense. Now you add Devin A-Chain, uh, Devon A-Chain to, that, run, to that, the, that offense with his speed, how electric he is. He was a third-round pick, pick 84. A-Chain was the Miami. So he's the kind of guy that you put him in there with Hill and with Waddle. Boy, I'll tell you what, that offense, if Tua can stay healthy, that is going to be incredibly fun to watch. Well, Mel, 40 years of drafts in ESPN. Was your first draft the one post-1983, or were you doing the 83 draft in ESPN? The 83 season, 84. I would, mine was Boomer Esiason's year. Okay. So you, you were not a part of the – Jim Kelly, no. John Elway, Dan no. Marino, I was Bob actually down at, Hey, I'll tell you a story about it. I was down at the convention center in Baltimore with a bunch of Baltimore Colt fans. I was in another two months, month and a half, going to go to work for the Baltimore Colts and Ernie Acorsi that year. I would have never been at ESPN. Todd would have never known me except calling me to find out who I was picking with the Baltimore Colts, right? Because I wouldn't have been. What happened was Ernie had locked me in. I already got approved by the NFL. They already came to the house at Ramblewood Road and got me a, a couple guys came to New York. FBI guys, the direct security guys came in to approve you. So I went through that whole interview process. This is in like March, February, March. I said, Ern, what do you want me to do? I'm Ernie. I've known him since I was 16. What do you, no, just go through the draft. Go down there with Bob Leffler, who was working with the Colts then, and uh, do your stuff with the fans, and we'll announce you in the summer. Fine. They, tra they draft John Elway. They trade John Elway without Ernie's knowledge. Teams may be moving. Ernie's probably leaving. Ernie called me up. I think it was in June, and said, "Can't just can't do it." I said, "I, you know, I'm not. I'm, I can't bring you in because I'm not going to be here." I said, "Well, what do you want me to do, Ern?" He said, just "Keep doing what you're doing. You got a great business going. The draft the report's doing really well. Nobody knows we were going to bring you in. No harm, no foul. Just keep doing what you're doing." So I kept doing what I was doing. The next year, but five months later, I got a call from ESPN to go up and interview for that job. And I'll tell you what, Todd and, and, and Adam, when I went up and interviewed. I don't know how you did. you did it a little differently, Todd. In those days, they took a, took a chair. They put the chair in the middle of a room. They had eight people in the room circling around me, my head spinning. 
<laughs> Tell me about the offensive line with the 49ers. Tell me about the, the, the coaching right. staff with the Steelers. Tell me about wow. this. Tell me about it. Did it for an hour, flew back to Baltimore, and then two weeks later found out I got the job. Wow. Unbelievable. So wow. really, yeah, you, too bad you weren't on there for the draft of 83, Mel, but it, the legend began right after the next year. Yep. Hey, yep. I've never asked you this. You were 16 years old and dealing with Ernie Acorsi, a GM yep. in the NFL. How, how, how did that all start? Well, what happened was I was at the Colt camp and, and Ernie was there and whatever. And I came up to him. I would hand him, <coughs> I would hand him all these papers. So it's about this many. I say, Ernie, here, here. Todd does always have papers. You see, I write all the names. I got all this yellow. <laughs> these are guys, these are undrafted free agents, by the way, Todd. These are all my undrafted free agents yep. for this year. And here's my guys for 2024, all written down to 2024 guys. So I would hand Ernie all these handwritten, typed up, whatever, papers, did it for the whole, maybe two, three years. And then finally, I think I wore him out. He said, and I don't need this guy in anybody. I'll just hire him. So uh, he wanted me to do research and do anything I could for him. And I agreed to do it. And there there we go. It's amazing. And as they say, Todd, the rest is history. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and we're all a part of it with him. Mel, Todd, I want to thank both of you guys very much for another year, for your time today, for your friendship, for your support. Appreciate both of you guys. Love working with you. And we'll look forward to doing this again soon. We you appreciate it. you Take too, brother. Fun. Thanks for everything. And yep. I, I thoroughly enjoy our conversations leading up to the draft and, and even helping you try to find the, uh, the the Knicks game on the night before the draft. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? 40 years for Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay bringing it this week. And it's always amazing to me that when we get into the sixth and seventh rounds of the draft, and we're on the 233rd and 234th players being picked. They know as much about that guy as Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Just incredible to me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And speaking of C.J. Stroud, I did want to bring up that on Friday morning in our Kansas City hotel, I was able to go down to the gym early in the morning, get a little workout in, just walk on the treadmill, kind of de-stress a little bit. And when I get into the lobby, lo and behold, who's there? None other than C.J. Stroud. And what was I wearing during my workout? A Michigan t-shirt and Michigan shorts. And I go over to C.J. Stroud, And the person he was standing with said, look what he's wearing. And C.J. Stroud was like, yeah, no worries, no worries. Talked to C.J. Stroud for a few minutes there. And I got to tell you something. Guy was very impressive. Seemed humbled by the whole experience. Carried himself in a mature way. And I like that guy. There are other quarterback prospects I've met through the years that I can think of where I was completely unimpressed. I was highly impressed with C.J. Stroud. And the funny part was, in where I'm at Michigan close to meet C.J. Stroud, then I get called over by another guy who's standing with Paris Johnson Jr. Now, the great part about Paris Johnson Jr., the Ohio State offensive tackle who went to the Arizona Cardinals is, a few years back, I got a call from somebody that Paris Johnson Jr. was interested in speaking to me because he, I believe, was a journalism major or certainly is dabbling in journalism, interested in making that a career as if he's not going to make it an offensive tackle. And so we connected on the phone and talked for 15, 20 minutes. And I hadn't spoken to him since then, but had the chance to go congratulate him. And the first thing he noticed was my Michigan shirt and shorts. So in the span of about 15, 20 minutes, unbeknownst, unknowingly, unintentionally, I saw two different reactions from two different Ohio State players. C.J. Stroud didn't care. Harris Johnson's like, get those clothes away from me. I said, You send me some free Ohio State gear, I'll wear that too to work out. Congratulations to both those young Ohio State men. Both impressive. Both are going to have great NFL careers. All right. Last week, we saw the reaction that the ESPN set had upon the news that Aaron Rodgers had been traded to the New York Jets. And I want to just say something about this. There is this picture going around on the internet of Laura Rutledge, Marcus Spears, Mina Kimes, Dan Orlovsky, and me on the set moments after the news broke, and everybody's going nuts, and everyone's saying, that's staged, because we all knew it was coming. There was nothing about that, let me say for the record, nothing that was staged, and I think people have lost the context. I went on ESPN NFL Live to say that the trade had just been made, and here was the compensation. We all knew the trade was going to happen. We just didn't know when, and we didn't know what for. And I started out by saying the Packers get in this trade the Jets' first round pick. And when I said that, everybody went nuts. They couldn't believe it. Of course, I hadn't gotten to the point where I said that the Jets got back the Packers' first round pick. And again, I probably should have just said initially the two teams flipped first round draft picks And Green Bay got a second-round pick and a conditional second-round pick next year 
that can be a first if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the Jets' plays. But we're doing this in real time on TV. The information had just come in. I'm trying to put it out on Instagram, on Twitter, send it to the ESPN news desk, deliver it on air. And while all this is going on, I don't have a moment to process it the right way, the way I would like to. And so I didn't say they flipped the picks. I said at the beginning that the Packers got the Jets' first-round pick, which caused Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes to lose their minds. So there was nothing about it for the record that was staged. It was just a natural reaction to the compensation that was coming in. And so there's a little bit of the background behind the picture that appeared right there. And that was last week. The draft was this past week. And now we begin to look ahead to next week when the NFL will release its schedule. And we think right now it is tentatively planned for May 11th. But as we tape this podcast Monday morning, Roger Goodell is meeting with Mike North and Howard Katz and Adi Bose and Charlotte Carey and going over exactly what will be final in that schedule. But again, I would look for that schedule to be announced Thursday, May 11th, and we will see how that works out. And before then, I also want to offer my condolences to the Barrett family and the Hanlon family. Everybody heard the news by now about Shaq Barrett losing his two-year-old daughter, Araya, tragic, can't even imagine, unthinkable, beyond sad. And our thoughts and prayers are with the Barrett family, as they are with the Hanlon family. Pat Hanlon, Giants vice president, lost his wife, Randy, this week. And there are no words at unspeakably tragic events like this. And so just wanted to say here, for whatever it is worth, we are thinking of the Hanlon family, the Barrett family, and we wish them the very best in the future. All right, I want to thank Mel Kuyper Jr. and Tom McShay for joining us this week. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott, for putting this together. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll have plenty more information about the NFL schedule and whatever happens to transpire in this great reality show that is the NFL. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.